The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure that you get the best experience. This show is sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For high-quality printed t-shirts, coasters, placemats, mugs, drinks containers, stickers and much, much more, contact Colin or Debbie for a no-obligation quote. You can find CDS Print and Design on Instagram, Facebook and now Etsy. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's KO-FI and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can sign up to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's KO-FI and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips, and even creepy unexplained disappearances. If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience, there will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. There is a world beneath our feet that exists which we know little about. Miles and miles of tunnels, both man-made and natural, spread out around our planet like the tentacles of some immense creature. And all the time, more are being dug and more are being found. Intricate cave systems with underground rivers and lakes. Spectacular huge caverns and even cavities filled with massive crystals continue to surprise scientists and explorers as they are being discovered. Some of the deepest mines on Earth can stretch to an astonishing 4 kilometers underground, with temperatures reaching 60 degrees Celsius with a humidity factor of 95%. 
discoveries have proved that life can exist in these hostile conditions. But what else could be down there in the darkness? Is it possible that we may have disturbed the existence of creatures which only a handful of people have ever seen, with some never returning to the surface? And what about the generations of people who lived, worked, and died in some of these mines, caves, and caverns? Do their ghosts continue to haunt these dark and lonely places to this day? This is episode 32 of the Haunted UK podcast, and in this episode, we're going deep underground into the darkness to hear about some of the strange and terrifying encounters and experiences that have taken place right beneath our feet. Stories of the existence of strange life forms in abandoned mines and cave systems have fascinated us for centuries. Most of them come in the forms of legends, books, and movies such as The Descent. But there are a collection of tales from witnesses who have allegedly had close encounters with these mysterious beings. Frightening encounters. With the human race's quest to continue to draw on the natural resources of our planet, are we inadvertently and unknowingly encroaching into the natural habitat of unidentified life forms? There are also many incidents of people exploring caves and caverns who are never seen again. Highly experienced individuals who have all of the skills and knowledge to handle most of the situations that this potentially life-threatening job or hobby can throw at them seemingly come unstuck by events which remain a mystery. And it's one of these stories which we're going to kick this episode off with. Born on the 15th of April 1980, Benjamin J. McDaniel, or Ben McDaniel as he was mostly known, was the eldest of three sons, born to Shelby and Patty McDaniel. The three boys grew up in a wealthy household, affording them all the many opportunities and experiences throughout their early lives. They all took up multiple hobbies and interests, such as rock climbing and scuba diving, and they were soon sharing each other's passions. But it wasn't long before tragedy would strike the family. Ben and his younger brother Paul were rock climbing partners for many years of their youth and very close. In 2008, Ben discovered his brother lying unconscious in their family home. He desperately tried to revive him to save his life but was ultimately unsuccessful. 
This had a major effect on Ben, especially when the family discovered what the real cause of death was. Initially, it was thought that Paul had died of a massive stroke, but this was later dismissed when a toxicology report had found that Paul had actually overdosed from taking opiates, a drug that he wasn't even prescribed. On top of this, Ben had seen his marriage collapse as well as his construction business, leaving him with unpaid taxes of around $50,000. Ben's parents decided to step in and help out by suggesting that he take some time away from the family home and move into their beach house on the Emerald Coast in Florida. They told him they would fully support him financially for a period of time to help him reset and think about what he was going to do next. So Ben and his Labrador upped sticks and moved to Santa Rosa Beach, leaving his new girlfriend behind. Being back near the ocean ignited his old love of scuba diving, which he'd left behind in his mid to late teens. At just 14 years old, he was an accomplished open-water diver, with friends and family noting that this could be something that Ben may take further down the line as a professional career. Even though he'd already got his open-water certification, he wanted something more adventurous and daring, so he decided to switch his attention to cave diving. This was an entirely different environment for divers, with much more danger. Certification for cave diving required at least two months of hard training and a minimum of 125 log dives with either a fully qualified certified cave diver or a cave certified diving buddy. Ben found an ideal location to begin his journey into cave diving at the popular destination known as Vortex Spring a cold freshwater spring with a cave entrance some 58 feet below the surface. Because Ben couldn't find anyone to be his dive buddy, he essentially did all of his training and dives on his own. But this was highly dangerous and wouldn't provide him with his certification. Regardless, Ben continued to dive in the spring and sometimes into the cave which, at the entrance, had a sign with an illustration of the Grim Reaper and a set of warnings informing unqualified divers that they risked death by going beyond the sign and into the cave. The entrance was also protected by a gate, which was usually locked by diving staff and instructors from the Vortex Spring Diving Company, who specialised in training and tours of the spring and its caves. It was also common knowledge that certain divers, including Ben, were known to force the gate open after the offices were closed, so that they could dive into the cave when Vortex Spring staff would be absent. Again, this was incredibly dangerous, because a lone diver like Ben would have no one to help him if he got into difficulties. Over time, Ben had become a common sight down at Vortex Spring, and had got to know many of the staff as well as the owner of the diving company, Lowell Kelly. So it was no surprise to see him diving there multiple times during the day. Like many underwater caves and caverns, Vortex Spring had developed quite a deadly reputation. Throughout the 1990s, 13 deaths had been recorded there. The state had even threatened to prohibit it as a diving destination because of its treacherous and largely unknown routes inside the cave system. Unknown because it has never been fully mapped 
therefore still a mystery, likely part of the allure for some plucky adventurers. For example, there are sections where divers must remove their oxygen tanks to feed them through the narrow gaps and then somehow burrow themselves through the gap too. With extremes such as these, it's not really a place to go alone. But on the 18th of August 2010, that's exactly what Ben McDaniel did. The day started off warm and got hotter and hotter, reaching around 32 degrees Celsius. Ben had already been down to the cave entrance once. Other divers stated that they had seen him studying the whole area very closely, as if he was planning something. He then made his way back to the surface to prep his gear for later on. Again, witnesses saw Ben refilling his oxygen tanks at Vortex Spring Dive Shop, and this was also caught on security cameras. He then spent the rest of the afternoon pretty much alone, writing up notes in his dive log. At around 7.30pm, he began to get ready for another dive when he received a phone call from his mother. This was the last time his family would ever have contact with him. Shortly after this, he entered the water to begin his dive down to the cave. As he got to the cave entrance and to the gate, two other divers, who were on their way back up to the surface, saw Ben. One of them was Eduardo Turan, who was a fully qualified diver working for Vortex Spring. He had got to know Ben over the last few weeks due to Ben's frequent visits to the spring and knew that he would force the gate open to get into the cave. Keys to the gate were only issued to certified divers of Vortex Spring, so to stop Ben from damaging the gate, Eduardo turned around and went back to the entrance, unlocked it for him and then returned with his dive buddy to the surface. Now as far as Eduardo Turan stated, it wasn't unusual to see Ben diving down later in the evening and on most occasions Eduardo and his dive buddy would hang around until they saw bubbles breaking the surface of the pool. This would indicate that Ben was decompressing and safely returning to the surface. But on this particular occasion, they didn't wait around and instead went back to Turan's house for coffee. A full two days later, Eduardo noticed that Ben's truck, which was in the car park, hadn't moved. His mind went back to the sighting of Ben as he was about to enter the cave in the spring, and becoming immediately concerned, he called the police. Authorities opened Ben's truck and found his mobile phone and his wallet, which contained around $700. They also found his dive logbook, which showed that he had explored the cave several times as well as a map of the cave which he'd drawn. Police decided to bring in specialist divers who had experience in cave search and rescue. In the meantime, they searched his Santa Rosa beachfront home where they found his dog who was obviously very hungry after not being fed for two days. There was no evidence of any break-in or struggle and all seemed to be completely normal. Initially, it was thought that Ben had simply drowned in the cave and would be found somewhere inside. But things didn't quite work out that way. As soon as divers entered the water, they began to find strange signs indicating that this disappearance wasn't going to be anything they'd experienced before. At the entrance of the cave, two of Ben's decompression tanks were found. 
This was odd, as divers would usually take them into the cave and leave them in strategic places so that they could follow them back safely, as well as use them to ascend back to the surface. The tanks were sent back to the surface to be studied by the dive team and the police, while below, more divers continued to search for Ben's body. But they found nothing. No sign of his equipment, no sign of a wetsuit fragment, no human remains. Nothing. Back on land, police had discovered that the tanks, which had been brought back to the surface, were filled with oxygen, and not the mixture of a specialised gas used specifically for decompression. If Ben had been studying cave diving as extensively as everyone had said he was, he would have surely known this major point. So why were the tanks only filled with oxygen? More specialist divers began arriving to assist with the search effort, with many going deeper and deeper into the cave system, but still with no results. At the time, it was stated that the divers had gone as far as they possibly could into the cave. However, they felt that there was still a slim chance Ben's body may have slipped through a range of narrow openings, which they discovered whilst searching. These openings were too narrow to safely pass through, so they decided to take high-definition camera equipment down to see if they could capture any pictures from inside these dangerous areas. Again, nothing was found. There was absolutely no trace of Ben anywhere in the cave system at all, and no signs of any marks on the cave walls to indicate a struggling diver panicking and trying to get out. Ben's map of the cave, which had been found with his diving log, revealed that he had gone as far as the specialist divers trying to find him, so it seemed that he was more than capable of holding his composure and completing these types of awkward and complex dives. A diver by the name of Ed Sorensen was asked to join the search effort. Having a reputation of being able to venture further into precarious situations than anyone else, and more importantly, get results. He completed a number of dives using smaller air tanks and a propulsion unit to enable him to go into narrower passages. He went further and deeper into Vortex Springs caves than anyone had ever mapped or recorded, and discovered nothing. In his opinion, a man the size of Ben, who was 6 feet 1 inches tall and around 210 pounds, could not have made it through to the areas that he had searched. He said, quote, I know what I'm doing, and I barely made it through. The last place I searched was pristine without a mark that a diver had been there. It would be impossible to go through that restriction without making a mark on the floor or ceiling. He's not in there. End quote. He found no evidence of any increased activity of carnivorous predators or scavengers, and no signs of any silt which had been disturbed. To this day, not one piece of evidence has been found to support the theory that Ben died in the cave. So what happened to him? Is there something down in the dark depths of the cave system which could have taken him? If so, why hasn't anyone else seen it? And if Ben had been killed by an unknown predator, why wasn't any evidence found? We simply don't know, and this remains unsolved.
from strange underwater disappearances, we now move on to some cases of terrifying encounters with mysterious beings deep underground. Our first tale took place in Austria in May 2011 and happened to a man who identifies himself as Gregor. He was exploring the many caves and caverns that made up the vast salt mines in Gmunden, and he came across a newly discovered cave in the hills near the eastern bank of Lake Hallstatt. Now Gregor wasn't an inexperienced caver. He'd explored many cave systems throughout Austria, Poland and the Czech Republic since around 1988, so he knew what he was doing and knew the types of dangers that these huge underground mazes could throw at him. But he never expected to witness what he did when he entered that recently discovered cave near the lake. Making his way into the entrance and then further down into the dark depths, he stopped as he thought that he could hear something. This wasn't the usual noises like water drops, the sound of distant water flowing, or wind making its way through the entrance. This was voices. As he stood there trying to estimate how far into the cave the strange sounds were coming from, they abruptly stopped. Cautiously, Gregor began to continue forward, getting to sections of the cave that had become so narrow that he had to push his gear through first and then crawl through afterwards. Every now and then, he would stop and listen, and again, he would hear those strange voice-like murmurs coming from somewhere deep inside the cave. After a while, the passage began to open out and Gregor could once again stand. He continued forward until he came to a huge cavern with tunnels branching away from it, and while anyone else was down there probably would have been excited by this discovery, Gregor became nervous. The cavern and tunnels looked like nothing he'd ever seen before. Everything looked like it had been tunneled out, smoothed over like glass, otherworldly even. This didn't look like it had occurred naturally over a long period of time, or indeed something tunneling machines or technology could yet achieve. It was something else altogether. Standing there surveying the place in awe, he noticed that the ground whenever he swiped his torchlight over it, radiated a strange red glow. And then, the definite smell of rotten meat hit his nose. Was there something down here? Perhaps dragging grazing farm animals down and feeding on them? If so, what was it? Gregor decided to get a sample of this weird dark red material on the cavern floor, when all of a sudden, the voices returned and this time, they were close by. In a panic, he quickly made his way back to the narrow passage and started to squeeze through. As he did, he turned his head to get a look back into the cavern to see if there was any movement and noticed a dim yellow light getting brighter and brighter coming from a tunnel located towards the rear left-hand side. Gregor watched in a mixture of amazement and terror as around 20 lizard-like beings made their way into the cavern. He described them as being very muscular, wearing some form of dark-coloured full bodysuits and muttering to each other in a language that he couldn't understand or identify, certainly sounding like nothing he'd ever heard before. Gregor had seen enough, 
Mustering all his courage, he hurriedly made his way back to the entrance and back to the sanctuary of his office. He made a point of recording his encounter in his journal, but didn't mention it to anyone else. A short while later, a colleague and friend of Gregor's, the person who initially discovered the cave, mentioned in passing that he'd been back down and had extensively explored the whole system, but strangely, didn't mention anything about the smooth walls of a large cavern and tunnels, or the red-coloured floor, or any strange sounds or voices. To this day, Gregor stands by his experience, but has no explanation for it. In 1995, another eerie encounter took place with a similar sort of reptile-like creature, but this time it was in a cave system in Camden County, Missouri, America. The witness, who we'll call Tom, was an ex-military officer who had taken up cave exploration as a hobby in recent years. He'd explored and mapped numerous cave systems in both Missouri and Arkansas, but had recently heard about a particular cave which was largely unexplored in Camden County. After getting to the entrance, he prepped his gear and began to make his way into the unknown. Going deeper and deeper down passages into the cave, Tom came across several chambers which he initially thought would bring him to the end of the cave system, but as he continued to navigate, he heard strange noises coming from the direction of an opening at the top of the chamber. He stopped and listened, trying to get detail from the sounds, but they were too muffled and quiet. He felt that some of the sounds resembled mechanical noises, but Tom couldn't work out how any type of motorized devices could have been taken down there, unless there was another entrance somewhere else. The opening above him was around 10 feet long, so he decided to squeeze himself inside to try and get a look at the top. Once there, he could see a light in the distance. Almost immediately, a potent acidic smell hit him. What was this? The opening was very large with limestone walls, and to Tom's surprise, he could see what looked like some sort of vehicle that he described as being similar to a golf cart but without wheels. As Tom tried to work out what the room was used for and what this vehicle was, he began to hear strange voices, first in the distance, then getting louder and louder, closer. In complete disbelief, Tom then watched as a scaly-skinned creature, approximately seven feet tall, entered the large room and began to perform some type of maintenance or operation to the vehicle. The creature had a humanoid face, which had a nose, yet no ears or hair. Its arms were also long, and it had a tail which Tom estimated to be around four feet long. It was wearing some type of gold-coloured outfit with a strange oval-shaped container strapped to its back. As with all of his visits to caves and caverns, Tom had brought his camera with him. Slowly and quietly, he raised the camera and began to take a few photos. But these turned out to be blurred and distorted due to the light conditions. He noticed that even though the camera was quiet, the creature seemed to know that he was there and looked straight in his direction, then let out a terrifyingly loud hissing noise. At this, 
Tom certainly got the message and made us scramble to get out of the cave and as far away from the place as possible. As he reached the entrance, he was shaking uncontrollably and beginning to hyperventilate, but managed to continue away from the cave and back to his vehicle. Tom reportedly has never disclosed this encounter until he heard similar stories from other experienced cave explorers who had been brave enough to come forward and share their incidents. And just like them, he still explores caves which are in this local area. Interestingly, he also disclosed that he did return to the cave a number of years later, but wasn't able to get anywhere near it, as the government had performed a land grab, fencing the area off, warning the public not to enter. So it begs the question, did the government have any idea what was down inside that cave system, or are they trying to find out? Well, so far we've heard stories of mysterious disappearances, as well as tales of terrifying encounters with strange creatures. But what about haunted caves? Are there many stories of sightings of ghostly apparitions in these isolated underground worlds? Well, yes, there are. Underneath the forest of Dean, ancient iron ore mines stretch out at around 230 acres and go down to depths of 600 feet. These mines and caves have been in use for over 4,000 years, bringing Earth's valuable resources back to the surface for all types of purposes. The whole site is now managed and run by Jonathan Wright, who operates it mainly as a tourist attraction and a destination of exploration for more experienced cavers, or spelunkers as they're better known. Many miners over the years have ascended to the surface with tales of strange encounters with ghosts and spirits, and these stories continue to reverberate around the cave walls to this day. One frequent phantom who seems to call Clearwell Caves home is that of an old miner simply known as the Old Man. The story goes that this particular miner was working in an area where the timbers holding up the ceiling were perilously weak. Inevitably, these timbers failed, and he was caught up in the catastrophic collapse that followed, becoming quickly separated from his colleagues in the process. As his workmates desperately dug to try and free him, the more the thunderous rubble caved in around them. It was a futile battle, resulting in him being trapped, alone, in the dark. After a few days of non-stop excavations, the miners were forced to give up when the collapse finally went all the way to the surface. They walled up the area and left their colleague in the tunnel to die. The old miner's ghost has been witnessed by many people over the years, always helping those who are unsure of their way out of the mine. Many times staff at Clearwell Caves have been asked by visitors to thank the man dressed as an old miner for leading them back to a familiar chamber which helped them find their way out. On one particular occasion, Jonathan had allowed a film crew down into a section of the mine to enable them to get footage for an upcoming release. He recalls that the crew were laying cables for lighting and other pieces of equipment but didn't have the length of cable available to reach back to the power points. As the crew were trying to work out a better route, 
they bumped into an old man who was dressed as a miner. Thinking that he was part of the Clearwell Cave staff, the crew asked his advice about finding a more direct route for their cabling. The man led the crew members through a series of tunnels, which worked out brilliantly for their needs. As they were packing up for the day, they made a point of telling Jonathan about the member of staff who had showed them the quicker route for their cabling, to which he replied that there weren't any staff members down in the mines at all while the film crew were setting up and filming. Jonathan then asked if the crew could point out the person from his staff. They couldn't. And to this day, there is absolutely no explanation of who this mysterious old man dressed as a miner was. Even Jonathan himself, who doesn't really believe in ghosts or the paranormal, has had a very strange experience that still defies rational explanation. He'd asked a friend to accompany him down into the mine to help him identify the spot where one drill point would connect to another tunnel, so that he could accurately drill and break through the rock. The plan was for Jonathan to stay at the point where the drilling would take place, whilst his friend would go to the other side of the rock wall, which was located in another tunnel, and hit the spot with a large rock. Jonathan could then locate the rough area where the hits were coming from and mark that spot for drilling. Both men split up and made their way to their separate locations. After a while, Jonathan heard the unmistakable sound of tapping coming from the other side of the rock where he was standing, so he marked the area where he felt that the drilling needed to take place and then made his way to his friend to tell him that he was finished. As he was walking towards the tunnel, where his friend should have been, he found him sat on the floor messing around with his headlamp. His friend looked up at him and apologized for not getting to the tunnel yet, as his headlamp batteries weren't quite connecting properly and his light kept going out. So who, or what, was hitting the rock on the opposite side of the tunnel wall that Jonathan was in? And if that wasn't strange enough, it turned out that the point where Jonathan had heard the tapping and had marked was exactly where the wall needed to be drilled. Clearwell's reputation for being a haunted location also attracts many paranormal investigators and ghost hunting groups. And it was one of these that also had various weird and eerie experiences down in the depths of the tunnels and caverns of this spectacular attraction. Tim and Adam from Forest Paranormal Investigations were down in the mines at an area known as the Rabbit Run, which is a tunnel that requires the person to lie down and crawl through. It's approximately 30 feet long and leads to a location known as Pillar Chamber. There have been a number of deaths recorded down at these sites, and it was Adam who decided to try and make his way along the Rabbit Run and into Pillar Chamber, to see if he could record or witness any type of activity. Little did he know that on this occasion, he would have an encounter which he would never forget. He recalls that the floor of the rabbit run was quite wet, with areas where puddles had formed, so quite a challenging environment in itself. As he entered the pillar chamber and shone his light around, he caught sight of a figure standing on the opposite side. This figure turned and quickly walked into what looked like an exit tunnel. 
so Adam quickly followed, thinking it was one of Clearwell's employees or one of the investigation group. As he rounded the corner of the tunnel where the figure had gone down, he was stunned to find a complete dead end. All that was in front of him was rock and nothing else. Where had the figure disappeared to? On the same investigation, a member of the team was asked to sit in the dark in one of the tunnels where activity had been witnessed previously. This person wasn't particularly a firm believer in the paranormal, so was shocked when he felt the bag which he was carrying on his shoulder fall off. As he switched his light on, he watched the bag being pulled up the tunnel a few feet by an invisible force. Was this the old man? We finished this episode with another ghostly tale which took place as recently as 2017. 27-year-old Rob works for a company which organizes thrill-seeker events for groups such as potholing, abseiling and rock climbing. He makes the point that he feels incredibly lucky to have a job which is also part of his hobby and loves every minute of his work. This event took place in a cave system which he felt was best not named. All caves and mines have the potential to be extremely dangerous places, so having the right training in both cave exploration and health and safety is a no-brainer. This particular cave system was one that Rob had amounted a huge amount of experience exploring, as well as taking groups down for tours. This was exactly what he was doing, when he had an experience that completely terrified him to his core. The tour group consisted only of a handful of people, who all wanted a taster of cave exploration in a system with tight squeezes and other challenges. After venturing through the tunnels and caverns for a while, the group came to a section where the route split off into three separate tunnels. This was something that Rob was expecting, and whenever he would get to this point with other parties, he would also issue the same challenge, for those adventurous enough to do it. The three people in the group were asked by Rob to all choose one tunnel and go down for around 100 yards on their own. If they came to a dead end before that, they were to turn around and make their way back to the cavern. If they didn't hit a dead end, then they should also turn around and rejoin the group. Rob knew that only one of the tunnels didn't stop at a dead end, and he knew which one it was. But it was the feeling of isolation and the unknown which Rob wanted the people to experience. All three happily chose their pathways and set off into the darkness, leaving Rob alone in the cavern, something that he'd been used to hundreds of times before, but this time would be horribly different. As the three group members continued to move through their separate tunnels, Rob could hear their footsteps and scraping noises as their overalls would rub against the rock walls. But not long after it went almost completely quiet. As Rob stood still waiting for the return of his group, he heard a noise coming from somewhere behind him. Rob recalls that it sounded like a shuffling type of noise, something that was really out of the ordinary as he was completely alone and wasn't aware of anyone else potholing in that section of the cave system. Rob called out to make sure that his group were the only ones down there, and as expected, 
He got no response, but the noise continued. He turned around and focused his headlight on the location where he thought the noise was coming from, but couldn't see anything apart from the wet rock walls all around him. He panned his light slowly left and then right, trying to find the source of the noise, and then suddenly stopped as he caught sight of something which looked off. He moved his light back to the position and saw a man crouching down and facing the rock wall around 30 feet away from where Rob was standing. Whoever this man was, he was dressed in clothing which looked very old, maybe the clothing of a miner. Rooted to the spot, Rob called out to the man but got no response at all. Then suddenly, the stranger quickly turned around to face Rob and that's when all hell broke loose. The man didn't have a face. Nothing. No features at all. Rob didn't know if this was a mask or if the man's face had been horribly disfigured somehow. Understandably, Rob panicked and let out a loud scream which then alerted the three group members who were still in the three tunnels ahead of him. They all came running back out as Rob went running towards them. As they all met, Rob quickly turned around and scanned the area where the man was. But there was nothing there. Whatever this entity was, it had completely vanished. There was no other way out of that cave system apart from going past Rob and into the one tunnel which wasn't a dead end. And that didn't happen. Or going back the way the group had originally came from. But nobody else had emerged from the cave that day until Rob and his group got back to the surface. So who, or what was the thing down in the cave? Why didn't it have a face? And where did it go? Rob never got answers to these questions and never returned to that particular cave system. Whatever he saw down in the dark depths that day disturbed him so much that he had to seek professional counselling. And to this very day, Rob stands by his encounter, regardless of what anyone else thinks. So what do we think of these strange and creepy encounters which have taken place below the surface of our everyday lives? Could creatures of these types described in the stories told earlier in this episode really exist? If so, how have they continued to stay hidden for hundreds, if not thousands of years? Witnesses continue to come forward, risking their reputations and their character to relay their experiences. Are they all telling lies? Throughout many cave systems in the world, amazing discoveries have been made, such as the 13,000-year-old mammoth carving which was found on a wall inside caves at Cheddar Gorge in Somerset. Discoveries of human and animal bones deep inside these fascinating natural mazes which date back over 30,000 years. But what if there were things down there yet to be discovered which could potentially shock the world? The mountain gorilla was only first documented as a species of animal as early as 1902. The coelacanth, a fish which lives at great depths was thought to have been extinct for around 66 million years, 
until they were discovered off the coast of South Africa in the 1930s. And then, there's Bigfoot. A huge ape-like creature which has documented sightings stretching back hundreds of years, and a habitat distribution which includes areas such as North America, Canada, Russia and China. Is it possible that there are still amazing species out there which have somehow managed to evade the ravages and destruction which the human race would inevitably impose on them? Are there shocks still out there to come? We'll have to wait and see. And crucially, listeners, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Is there a rational explanation? Or do you believe these creatures really do exist? Have you encountered something unearthly deep under the earth? Let us know on Twitter at Haunted UK Pod or on our Haunted UK Podcast Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And if you do find yourself on a caving tour one day, in the dark and alone in a tunnel or a cavern, always keep your wits about you. Because the next person who can accidentally bump into something strange in the darkness could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story so it's easy for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost privacy and respect. And if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at my studio, Pink Flamingo Music Productions in Hells Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you have a piece of music you'd like mixing or mastering, or if you have a podcast that needs title music writing, or maybe you want your whole podcast editing and prepping for distribution, then why not get in touch with me via email at pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com with your inquiry and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. For a list of all research sources which I found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Well, hi there. You must be new in town. Inniscombe's a tiny mountain village. Won't take you long to find your way around. Come on down to the corn shucking later on. Someone's sure to let you hitch a ride in their wagon. But you better steer clear of Porter Hollis. And the woods. Especially the woods. According to rumor, 17-year-old Porter Hollis is to blame for his mama's crying sickness. 
You see, he's been bewitched by the never-seen. Spirits haunting the forest who possess townsfolks' bodies and steal their souls. No one knows how or why the never-seen afflict this town. And don't you ask, don't you dare ask. Folk get all up in arms when someone starts sniffing around, asking about the past. Anyway, where was I? Oh, hope you'll stay a while. You might be new, but folk will warm up to you soon enough. It's getting dark now. Find some place to stay the night before the never-seen float down from the mountains looking for a soul like you. Written and narrated by me, Leah Noel, with special appearance by David Walker, The Innis Forgettance is a fiction podcast that straddles timelines set in an alternate Appalachia and faraway Celtic fort. Travel with Porter Hollis as he sets on a journey to untangle the lies of the past and a spell woven of darkness and fear. Will he bring about Innis Combs' deliverance? or its end.